Hello, and welcome to They Made Another One, where each week we study an oft-forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Dick Beeb. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your other host, Liam. (laughs) And this week we are returning back to the horror genre, watching Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean it really shows you how proud they were of that subtitle that it's not a subtitle that subtitle was so good it became super title and then blair witch (laughs) became subtitle um and that was directed by joe berlinger in 2000 and stars jeffrey donovan erica learson stephen barker turner kim director tristine schuyler as our core group and once again, we are discussing a franchise which really doesn't need an introduction. Uh, the Blair Witch Project is one of the most iconic and enigmatic horror films ever made. It championed, or rather, it sort of jump-started the found footage genre, which has become so much more prevalent today. It's a huge touchstone for a lot of people with that genre, and this sequel is completely lost to the sands of time. I don't know anybody who talks about this movie at all. Yeah, no, I think all the, all my friends who I told um, that I was seeing this movie said, there's a second one? I think a few of them knew about the the newest one that came out a couple of years ago, which is also a sequel to the first one, but I, I don't think any of them knew that this one existed. And I forget about it a lot, too. I think in part because of the title, Book of Shadows, dude. I know that's why I didn't watch it years and years ago when I was uh, following the Blair Witch Project train, just the... This, when, when a subtitle is that bad uh, and, you know, it's like totally ambiguous, um, it, it throws me off. It, it just seems like a like a cash in, you know? Yeah. Spoiler. There's also no book of shadows in the movie. Like that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so I wasn't let down. No. Which is good. Yeah. They set expectations about where they should have been. Um, and you, as our resident horror loving co-host... Uh, what is your relationship to the Blair Witch Project, the original film? I first saw the Blair Witch Project uh, in high school. I discovered that I owned it on VHS tape. Um, you know, I just have a big, huge cabinet of VHS tapes from various garage sales and stuff. And so I found it, and um, my friend and I decided to watch it in the basement. We absolutely loved it. Um, at this point, I had already seen numerous found footage films because we're talking probably 2011 or so, 2012. So I'm a kid who's really familiar with found footage, and I know that this is a pioneering film. And um, so I wouldn't have been surprised if I had been let down by it or if it had seemed a bit dated. But um, what I really look for in found footage films, which I'm a fan of and I was a fan of then, is is verisimilitude and this feeling that it's actually happening. And um, I totally feel that in the Blair Witch Project. I think um, to date, it's one of the most authentic found footage films that exist. You know, it really just feels like some kids out there with a camera. And um, and I totally loved it. I've seen it a few times since. Most recently, just a few weeks ago, um, I showed it to my girlfriend. And again, I was just I was blown away by the film. Um, before then, I had seen it a couple years earlier i showed it to my uh kid nephew i told him that it actually happened um because i'm an <laughs> asshole and what did uh, he think of and, that uh we he was spooked for the first half man he fell asleep unfortunately um so clearly he but, wasn't uh, that spooked 
I guess I'm taking credit for something that isn't actually there, yeah. But I was probably more spooked than he was, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but no, so I've seen the movie a bunch of times since, and um, it honestly just it just keeps getting better. Reading about the the uh, filmmaking and the behind-the-scenes work is, is some of the most fascinating um, film writing that, that I can find. There are a lot of great stories of, you know, these kids who just worked on the production, not only in the acting roles, but also in production roles. You know, they were just these 20-something, 20-somethings who uh, had an idea for a film and um, all that stuff is fascinating and it totally comes through in the movie. I think it's a fascinating uh, filmic experiment um, and I think it totally works. I think it is... Uh, not just an essential horror film, but I just think it's it's an essential film. Um, you know, found footage is something that is pretty strongly associated with the horror movie genre, and I think that's because of stuff like Blair Witch Project and then Paranormal Activity, which uh, started the second wave of found footage films. Um, and so I think it's become a staple of the horror genre. But but if you just put that aside, Blair Witch project isn't um it doesn't have a lot of the qualities that people tend to associate with horror movies when they're disregarding the genre you know it doesn't have excessive gore or jump scares or or any of this stuff and so i just think that the blair witch project is absolutely uh a unique film in every way um regardless of genre and i really 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 love it i think it's classic it's one of my favorites yeah, and not to take the wind out of the sails of your beautiful description of the importance of the film and your love for it and the importance of it in the horror canon, but I have not seen it. That's okay. And, um, you know, well, like, it's another thing where it's so important that you see it even if you haven't really seen it. Like, I've seen clips of it. I know how it ends. Um, I've seen specific shots, and I know how it works, but I've never just had a day where I'm like, I'm going to sit down and watch the Blair Witch Project today. But I still feel like I'm aware enough of it and its importance that um, to go into Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, which from here on out, I'm just calling Blair Witch 2. That title can get fucked. It's not helpful. Um, it really does help to at least have an awareness for how important Blair Witch Project is as a cultural event because it was so significant and it had happened so recently. Um, it's from 1999. This is from 2000. And uh, <clears throat> the beginning of the movie actually primes you with um, movie reviewers and like talk show hosts and newscasts that are saying like, Hey, this was pretty wild, huh? And um, kind of setting up the importance of the movie and also how it was maybe like influencing people to do this or that thing and whatever. Mass hysteria is one of that those kind of core themes of the movie and it's something that the intro kind of speaks to and Blair Witch 2 is a fictionalized account of what happened after the popularity of the Blair Witch Project which is a wild concept for your movie and immediately kind of takes the feet out from under itself because you know part of what makes the Blair Witch Project work was its guerrilla marketing campaign online and everything that was like this is real and there was a genuine confusion at the time as to whether or not it were real among some people. I mean, I think for one, the fact that it got a theatrical release should probably tell you that it wasn't because like, I don't know. People probably die in that movie. Maybe did somebody die in that movie? 
Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, people yeah, die. See, and, yeah, um, not, they're not gonna put a snuff film in theaters. So, uh, well, and and people actually sent letters of condolences to the uh, main actress's mother because they thought that she had died. Oh wow! See, yeah, so that movie works so well because people thought that that's what was actually happening, and then this movie comes out of the gate and immediately says this is fictional. And I know the cat was already out of the bag at that point, but you really are just kind of punching yourself in the gut right away by just sort of yeah. saying, don't worry about this one. We wrote this one with screenwriters. Yeah, well, I think the most interesting thing about this movie is that it seems to me that it really has a bone to pick with the original. Now, this movie was directed by um, a documentary filmmaker. This was his first fictional film. He had become famous in um, the early 90s for doing a documentary called Paradise Lost that's about um, three boys who were murdered in West Memphis and um, the trial that ensued afterward as these uh, teenagers were accused and um, and uh, sentenced uh, because of sentenced for committing these murders that a lot of people thought that they didn't commit. And so he's done work in um, true crime and he hadn't done another fictional film after Blair Witch until the recent Ted Bundy movie starring Zac Efron. Oh, okay, yeah. Which he directed, and he also directed um, uh, a couple, a, a mini series on Netflix that is a documentary called The Ted Bundy Tapes about Ted Bundy. And so he's, he's a dude that typically works in documentary filmmaking, and I get the impression that he was upset with the Blair Witch Project, and he was upset that people thought it was real because I think he, th he thought it was dangerous, um, and he thought that it was... Um, offensive to the work that he does there's there's a quote i have here from an interview he did uh just this year um around the time of the release of the zach efron film and he says um the fact that nobody in the news media took a step back to analyze well it's not good that a marketing campaign was a complete lie to get people to see a movie and boy have we come to be in those times where in the world of fake news and alternative facts where news is now entertainment when i made that film i couldn't have imagined that things would get as bad as they are now so when the film opens saying that this is fictional i kind of think that that's his his middle finger to the to the um to the original film and it's also a it's a it's a really kind of bold statement and a way to stick to your roots as you're coming away from this documentary filmmaking to say hey uh this movie is going to deal with the aftermath of um a movie that relied on people's uh perceived authenticity of the film and we're just going to say hey this this didn't actually happen but i'm still going to try to make a kick-ass movie and i think that's kind of punk rock and cool though it is an outlook that frustrates me more as the film goes on. Yeah, there is point. There is a point where somebody, <clears throat> I think it's Kim in the movie, literally says the line, that was just a movie, in reference yeah. to the Blair Witch Project yeah. of the movie. And it definitely seems like a film that at times is kind of at war with itself. And I did a bit of reading too. And um, it's also kind of at war with the studio i guess the studio kind of got its hands on it in post-production and uh berlinger says that he felt things like gore sequences that were added to the film in a way a lot of it's edited quote fought against the ambiguity he tried to nurture in the film so you know i'd be really curious to see what his actual goal of the movie was which included a linear narrative 
Uh, so none of the cutaways at all and just kind of got taken away from him. But uh, yeah, so the plot of the movie follows a group of people on a tour influenced by the Blair Witch Project to go to that place and like scope it out with their own cameras and stuff. Steven and Tristan are working on a book about media and mass hysteria. Erica is a witch. Kim is a goth who may or may not be psychic. And Jeff is just a big fan of the Blair Witch Project. He sells weird trinkets and shirts and runs this tour. Uh, they go to the ruins of Rustin Parr's house and Jeff has cameras and stuff and they try to see if they're going to you know, catch anything spooky um, like you do. And um, from their stay there, things just kind of spiral into a total train wreck uh, with a lot of weird supernatural influences on them and their ability to understand what's happening around them and trying to understand what happened to them while they were at those ruins. And it's all, it's a compelling concept, but the, the execution is interesting. So before we get too far into it though, I want to ask you, Liam, what your takeaway was from Blair Witch 2, how you felt about it. Uh, well, my takeaway from this movie is what a missed opportunity and um my uh thoughts on this movie are that it's an absolute mess i think it is so rough to sit through i think that they had a really unique chance to capitalize on a basically once in a lifetime um filmmaking you know moment um, this movie comes out a year after the Blair Witch Project, and that's I think that's great. It wouldn't have worked otherwise. And when the film opens up with uh, with the fictionalized reenactment, you know, the exact opposite of the original film, and we have news footage of uh, we're now interviewing people who actually live in um, uh, the place where the Blair Witch Project uh, took place. I, I think it's a great idea, absolutely great, but I think it goes to hell in a handbasket really, really quickly. Um, and I don't know how much of that is studio interference and how much isn't just because um, my problems aren't just with the structure of the film. It's really, you know, I, I think the performances are not good, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't think the ideas Fuck. are... I don't think the ideas are conveyed well at all. This idea of um, we have an issue with what the media is doing to um, real life horrors. And we have an issue with um, the uh, fictionalization of, of events that actually do happen and traumatize people. I don't think that that comes through at all. Um, and I think that the Blair Witch Project, the, idea is the filmmaking basically the idea is the way the movie's being filmed and this movie doesn't do that it's it's a conventionally shot movie which i think is totally cool but if that's the case and your idea isn't in the filmmaking then the, the ideas of the story have to be there and um they just absolutely aren't there i think this is totally muddled and i think it is absolutely terrible I love this stupid train wreck of a movie. <laughs> um, okay. And I want to make clear off the top, I agree with every single thing you just said, top to bottom. But I had a lot of fun watching as this movie just constantly failed over and over and over and over again to be coherent, to be compelling, yeah. 
to be yeah. well produced and acted uh mm-hmm. every step of the way it is a colossal failure and i had fun <laughs> uh, that's dude that's totally valid i think that's awesome like this is a great terrible movie <laughs> like yeah and i mean you know i had said most of the plot we may as well get the rest of this out of the way um so after they're sort of struggling with uh trying to figure out what happened they had bumped into like a rival tour group while at those ruins and they kind of send them off but they wake up and a lot of their stuff's been destroyed and lost and they're trying to figure out how that happened who did that to them if it was those other people or what and um while that's happening uh tristan uh uh in a weird attempt for this movie to deal with a genuinely traumatic incident tristan suffers a miscarriage and they rush her to the hospital and then from the hospital they go to jeff's house to try to look at the tapes and then they just kind of have a weird meandering trying to figure out what happened something supernatural maybe happened maybe it was us maybe it wasn't thing that happens for most of the movie and is very boring um and this is intercut for some reason with them in like interrogation rooms with the police being questioned and insisting that they didn't do anything. Um, and it's just a mess. Like it is incomprehensible garbage. Like Mm I, (laughs) like I don't even know like what to do with this. Like, because I appreciate your attempt because I feel like you, were very, you know, well-spoken and trying to take this as seriously as possible in the way the director probably intended. I can't take this shit seriously at all. Like, even in discussion, like, it's just a wreck. It is a flaming heap of a movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh... <laughs> I say, yeah, no, a lot. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, it's it's terrible. It's, um, it's a flaming heap. And I do think it's, a, in, it's interesting to evaluate just because the Blair Witch Project is so unique. So I think a sequel that comes out a year later is totally worth talking about. But it's... I just had such a bad time with it. And I think, like you said, it falls on its face so often that I, um, I'll say it right at the beginning here. I wouldn't suggest that any fans of the film of the original film watch this movie oh hell and that's no. not and that's not even because like uh you know like hey like this is i don't want you to waste your time and and this is uh something you're not going to be into and it's just uh uh you you have no you have no place to watch this movie because you like the original i don't think that's the case it's just um i don't think watching it will give you anything I don't think watching it will will get you anything out of it that simply looking up what the movie is about and how it was produced won't give you. I think the most interesting parts of this film are at the very beginning and at the very end. And um, we can talk about what those mean, but um, I don't think there's anything in the actual execution of the ideas here that is worth seeing in practice. And, and besides that, I just don't, I, I didn't find it to be an entertaining slasher movie, um, all Blair Witch Project stuff aside. I didn't think it was an entertaining ghost movie or a paranormal movie or, so I, I can't think of any reason to recommend this. I think the most interesting thing about this movie is the director's struggle getting what he want made. Like, I said I had, a, like, I love it because of how bad it is, but I also don't think it's so bad it's good level enough to bother recommending anybody actually sit down and watch it. 
just as somebody who was already there, that was a life decision I had already made. Uh, I made the most of it by loving the train wreck, but like, it's it's a mess. It's a mess. It's so bad, and like it's really bad. It's 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 uh, uh, like I don't even know how to like effectively articulate the degree <laughs> of bad it is sure but i don't want to i don't want to put people off who are listening to this because i absolutely am glad we watched it and i think it it is worth talking about and i'm i'm glad to be here talking about it yeah but it's just it's but it but it is it's a really to me it's a really unpleasant it's a compelling level of and bad i think this sure. might be we haven't done the discussion yet but i think this might be the one opportunity where i would say our conversation of the movie is better than watching the movie. Oh, one hundred percent. So just just stick around, and maybe we'll uh, we'll hit some points that uh, that are valuable, and you won't need to actually sit through it for an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, I mean, the movie makes an effort to you know forward compelling arguments related to what the director originally wanted. At one point, Jeff says, "Quote: Video never lies, Kim. Film does, though." which is like sure but what (laughs) like you know like how does video not lie but film does film is a physical thing like you can edit it sure but like video is more easily tampered with than film yeah what the fuck jeff (laughs) yeah jeff isn't uh isn't the kind of guy jeff advice from sounds like pete davidson and i couldn't get around that he kind of looks like him too, which is. Which I would is love really to see a remake of this movie where everything else is the same, but you green screen in Pete Davidson saying all the Jeff stuff. <laughs> they have a very similar mouth, so and I just wonder very if similar that's just like cadence, a, like right. So I wonder if like do mouth shapes determine the way your voice sounds? Probably, yeah, because they look similar, man. Yeah, so uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, oh God, see the like a genuine problem I'm I'm having here is like. As the resident guy who does plot recaps, like, what am I even supposed to do with this? The beginning has a neat, like, found or, like, shot footage angle stuff of, like, setting up who Jeff is and setting up, like, how the town reacted to being the center of a media firestorm, which has, which is fairly compelling. It's like you said, it's, like, one of the things that you thought was genuinely interesting is, like, maybe we're gonna grapple with how the town dealt with that no we're not thought we might but then we don't um and then jeff jeff just kind of sets up his tour and he's already got some of the people who are going to be on the tour with him and they drive to a graveyard and we get the single best character reveal in the history of cinema because the camera like swoops over and kim who is who is a goth individual uh, is like smoking a cigarette lying down on a grave waiting for everybody which is just the most metal wild shit that they could possibly have done to introduce you to this person uh it's 1999 man we wear black and hang out in cemeteries it was 2000 and- it was the new millennium dude yeah but not when the events in the movie took place eh we don't know uh well you know there's the a movie, title card that says movie. november 15th 1999 is there yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, like, we kind of know. This movie, I think I know where I want to start, and it's not with the plot. This movie 
really is a relic of its time in a lot of ways that have not aged great in the intervening 19 years. Uh, the music is bad, really, really bad, and really poorly chosen. And it was added later by the studio. Um, so that's not on him. That's not on our boy Joe. And, you know, it doesn't really lean into Vermis... Versim- fuck. Verisimilitude. Verisimilitude. Thank you. Uh, it doesn't lean into that. It's, like, shot like a movie. Um, originally, they wanted more of that, but the studio recut and reshot it to make it more like a regular commercial horror movie. But the biggest <laughs> thing is, like, it's got a lot of weird edits. And, like, I remember a lot of fading, and I remember a lot of really fast cutting and, like, really stupid camera movements that were all over the place and a lot of, like, white flashes for some reason. And it just feels extremely 2000 or how 2000 is remembered in media, but in, like, the worst way imaginable. Yeah, my favorite one is uh, we get a scene, a shot of the camera zooming in and out and in and out really yes, quickly. Yes, 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 like, yes, yes. And, and that's, not, that's not a found footage shot, everybody. That is just... Uh, that's that is the, the camera. Film, that, <laughs> that is the camera and it's it's like the cameraman has like never used a camera before and is just fascinated by uh by this um this capability it has there's also back to back party montages yeah there is party montages like so there's a montage where they're out at the ruins of the Rustin Parr place and these are all people that have like just met and for some reason they're very comfortable with one another and they're just getting like drunk and high and fucking around and there's like a montage of that and they're having like some of them are having debates kind of more in line with like what the the filmmaker wanted and some of it's just them just like goofing around and then there's like a dialogue scene and then it immediately does another montage <laughs> of the partying for some this reason, was a year after American Pie came out, man, does that have a lot of partying montages in it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that the whole movie a partying montage? Are you? And it has hip music. There, there's some, yeah, uh, there's some wicked party montages. If and, only you know, this movie knew cool that it music. was it was hip to be square, it wouldn't have had all that fucking music in it. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't even know where to go. Well, I don't well, even listen, know where so, to go. So the fact that this is shot conventionally is, um, I get it, just because. If they tried to do a sequel that is more found footage, which we ended up getting with uh, Blair Witch, Adam Wingard's Blair Witch that came out recently, it would just it would feel like trying to recreate what made the original cool. Whereas this movie, uh, it's taking a unique approach because the original film was so huge that it, it makes sense to respond in a unique way. And so that's what I felt but, when we were. But this almost feels more cynical. Because it's just like the studio just wanted to get a movie out with Blair Witch on it, right? So it doesn't do any of that because doing that effectively would have been hard. So they just opt to do a regular movie and just throw that into theaters. And it's made even worse by like fucking the director over on what his original intention was, especially if it was so well considered. And then it's just this muddled, weirdly edited, trying to be cool train wreck. This is like the how do you do fellow kids meme of horror movies. <laughs> Yeah, 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 that's true. And it feels like um, coming off the other Blair Witch movie, this feels like a parody 
of Blair Witch because it's a conventionally shot movie, but then you're occasionally jumping into these quick found footage shots that clearly um, look like a cameraman is holding the camera and not the actor. And those shots are so unnecessary. Even though the actor is holding the camera in the previous shot, it still yeah. doesn't look like he's using the camera. Absolutely, it doesn't. And like, then, it's, and then we cut, it's madness. <laughs> and then we cut away from that POV and and we see whatever the camera was pointed at in a conventional shot. So it's as if we didn't even need the found footage aspect at all. So I think that's, I totally understand your point that it's more lazy to make this conventional and just slap Blair Witch on it. Um, but I think just looking at the film we got, I would rather it all be conventional and then just be um, good. But es especially because it says at the beginning, it's a fictionalized reenactment. It's the movie admitting it's a movie, which I think is clever. And so then you're 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 in the clear. You don't have to be a found footage film. But then we have these these quick little um, sequences, the, these sort of nods to the way the original film was shot, and it just it just shows you that the um authenticity of the original film the fact that they actually sent these three uh adults into the woods there wasn't a director behind them telling them what to do they were alone in the woods they were holding the cameras themselves it just that comes through so clearly in the original film and so when you get these short little sequences of these characters um holding the camera it's almost as if there should be like a uh a wreck sign in the top corner and a blinking red light right it just feels so cheesy and like a like a parody of the original movie and so i think whenever that happened it took me out of it immediately sorry i uh, i have the wikipedia page open and i just read some absolutely wild anecdotes about this a something that makes me upset uh, the page says because the original film had been parodied so much since its release Berlinger deliberately avoided using any shaky camera work and, quote, the stylistic cliches of bad documentary filmmaking. And then the movie just does that anyway. <laughs> Which yeah, is just a dude. shame. But also, so, this movie's biggest problem is that it's muddled. And this movie's muddled because the thing that it's playing with in the back half is them not knowing what happened and them going through tapes and trying to figure that out, things that they had shot, and having weird delusions or visions or uh hallucinations and not being able to tell what's real and what's not and kind of grappling with what happened to us what am i experiencing is it real is it fake is this the influence of rustin like what is it right um mm -hmm. and that itself could be coherent but there are two things there's three things rather that are intercut with that that don't make any sense and they make it really difficult for us to understand it as a viewer um there's footage of Jeff in the hospital. There is f random footage of violent murders. And there is uh, interrogation sequences that had been intercut throughout the rest of the movie, even before there's any mental confusion of any kind. Here's one paragraph from this Wikipedia page that really just kind of sums the whole thing up. The hospital footage featuring Jeff was shot mere weeks before the film's release at the request of Artisan Entertainment and was shot on location at the Kirby Forensic Psychiatric Center on Randall's Island in New York City. Additionally, the graphic footage of the main characters murdering the foreign tourists was shot last minute in Director Berlinger's backyard. Damn. So, whatever this could have been was literally thrown in the garbage 
by the last at the last second by the studio and we got this Talk about the studio speed. requested Berlinger cut the sequence into isolated vignettes and intercut them throughout the film of the interrogation, which was originally an eight, a single eight minute sequence at the end. And then they forced him to cut it into the rest. Wow. His original intent was a spoof of the original that leads into a downward spiral later. And instead it becomes like an ongoing constant downward spiral, even before the downward <laughs> spiral starts. Yeah, and, and um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, you go. No, you go, man. You go. Uh, and you'd think, okay, so this material has been kind of hacked up, but plenty of movies have been sort of manhandled by a studio, and you know, really strong writing or performances can still shine through in moments, even if it's not a cohesive whole. Mm-hmm. Y'all, the dialogue <laughs> sucks really yeah. bad, and I can't tell. I wrote down that I couldn't tell if the dialogue was trying too hard to be edgy or if it was just the year 2000. Uh, but it's bad. And uh, every performance feels like... It feels less like actors trying to play characters. It feels like actors pretending to be human. Totally, dude. And I I, I don't think you can just chalk it up to 19, or t- 1999, 2000, the time period, because though Blair Witch Project takes place in 1994, it was shot in, I think, 1997 or so, 1998. And the reason that film feels so authentic, I know you haven't seen it, but I guess you'll have to take my word for it, is is that um, they just they gave the characters general outlines of what they were supposed to say and what was supposed to happen. And then it was largely improvised. And now I'm not saying that a film has to be largely improvised to sound authentic. You can absolutely write that. But what I am saying is that people didn't necessarily just talk like this in the year 2000. And this absolutely feels like um, someone writing what kids are supposed to be like. And I would expect a documentary filmmaker to not have that issue to be able to convey how disenfranchised young adults might um might express themselves and so that brings me to um the most confusing part of this film is that i know it's been mangled by the studio and that's so clear um mostly in the editing i think but also i don't want to absolve the director of um he clearly should not be directing fiction clearly yes because because um (laughs) I, th- I just think he really has egg on his face because I-, I get that. I think he really had a problem with the Blair Witch Project. Um, you know, I read that quote earlier and I think he he has issue with um, a film uh, purporting to be documentary and actually being fictional. And he thinks that that is dangerous. But um, and so when he's saying that, OK, I'm going to fire back and I'm going to. I'm going to make a movie that reconciles with that and shows the dangers that a fictional movie can have on uh, real life. But while he's at it, he's making a movie that I think is just as likely to uh, influence people to hurt each other. And and when I say that, I mean that this movie isn't likely at all to do that. Um, but I just think that a movie like the Blair Witch Project that is so clearly entertainment and it has a cool, a nice marketing campaign around it and it's clever, but I absolutely don't think the intent was to make people think that they're watching a snuff film 
And so when he takes such issue with the fact that um, that this fictional movie is claiming to be documentary, and so he's firing back with a film that is um, dealing with that, I just think that the way it comes across here is is totally um, obnoxious and. Um, it's hard I, it to just... understand why the studio, if they were going to mangle it anyway, even chose this filmmaker, right? Yes. <clears throat> because it was such a quick turnaround that it's a cash in. They're cashing in. It was the it was wildly popular. They want to make money. It's that yeah. simple. The original producers didn't even want to make a movie that fast. Yeah, yeah. The 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 producers and directors of the original film, they're listed as producers here, but I think that is just because they gave permission for it to happen. They had no involvement. Yeah, the, and the like the process. thing I don't understand is like if you want to cash in, why would you pick a director that clearly want to do something subversive to the original source material? Like what are yeah. they gaining? And what do they gain by just mangling that especially mm -hmm. when the the creative team was so self-serious again from the wikipedia page his core theme when composing the screenplay with dick beeb was that the evil attributed to the blair witch may quote be human in origin as opposed to supernatural and the character of erica represented the frustrations of the wiccan community after the blair witch project came out the other characters i don't know what the fuck that was supposed to be tristan is this like she becomes like the innocent one, right? Like she's killed and didn't do anything and had a miscarriage and weird visions of children. But it's like, why? And I can't answer the question of why. I don't know at all. Steven was working on a book about like mass hysteria and like myths. Okay, why? What came of that? He didn't fall victim to mass hysteria or myths. Uh, you could argue he did because he's in a group of people, but like, seems to me they probably just got possessed by a ghost or something. I think if you want to make the argument that it's mass hysteria, you're on thin ice, right? Like, yeah, Jeff's just an opportunist, and Kim is a goth that might be psychic. Why is why are we introducing a psychic character into the movie if everything else is trying to stay as grounded as possible? Initially, then like, what are we doing? Yeah, and I, I feel like um, this movie uh, almost thinks that by putting the title card at the beginning, that this is a fictionalized reenactment of events that took place after the release of the Blair Witch Project. It's it's trying to wash its hands of um, uh, criticism because it's... It, it's like it's it's taking place in our reality, a reality where the Blair Witch Project is a movie. So it needs to feel even more real than the Blair Witch Project. But then you can just point your finger and say, oh, well, this is also pointing out that it's a movie. Yeah. So it doesn't need to do anything. But that's fine. It's just no matter which way you look at it, nothing interesting is happen if, happening. If you're going to be a movie, then lean into that and do um don't talk so much about things that you think are actually happening in real life after the movie came out that capitalism is uh, taking hold of this movie and that they're just trying to sell a product because when it comes down to it this movie is also just a trying product to sell a cynically product. being sold under the structures of capitalism 
Like, yes. It, and so, it, is the, it is the platonic ideal of the thing it opposes. Right. And, and again, I don't know how much of that comes from the studio, um, but the, the movie, the way it comes across, it just feels like such a slap in the face to the original movie. Like it's trying to dunk on the first movie, but then, you know, as it's running up to the hoop, it totally falls on its face because it, none of its ideas are conveyed properly and it doesn't even work as its own uh, scary horror movie. And so it's like if, if those are the end that each the director was on, the uh, criticism and the social commentary and and the and the studio oh, was man. on the end of a horror movie. It's just neither neither one works, and they both just end up looking very foolish. Yeah, I have a follow up for that that I really want to hit, but first I really want to get across to. You. And there's so much fucking product placement for Sony. Oh my yeah. god, every yeah. piece of technology is Sony, and it's very explicit. And it's just like, can you guys relax? So I like Mm -hmm. what you're saying about wanting to wash its hands of criticism, but it's also weird to me that, especially coming from a documentary filmmaker initially, it wants to be in a world where Blair Witch exists, which is ours, Yep. but it wants to be removed from that, but it wants to make serious arguments about our real world and the influence of media and its like falsehood, truth, whatever, and how that can be used cynically, but then it it makes a whole thing about how it wasn't the media's fault because those tapes aren't false because it was shot on tape. Those tapes are false because of like a ghost or a demon or something, which A, aren't real, and B, (laughs) caused the whole hallucination issue. It wasn't media that did that. Yeah. Right? So, like, what's the argument? Even if you get this film in its idealized state from the director, what's the argument that you're making? Absolutely, because we get to the end of the movie, and we have a reporter. Um, they're flanking the kids, and uh, they're saying that um, these movie fans committed ritualistic murders after watching the blockbuster movie, The Blair Witch Project. And I obviously, I think that's a creepy idea, and... The director is right that that's sort of prescient because, you know, nowadays we're getting, um, I don't believe that movies make people kill people, but the, the example that comes to my mind is um, these two really young girls recently who stabbed someone in the name of Slenderman. Do you remember when this happened? Uh, yeah, I do. So it's just, it's this fictional creation, right, that, that also... Um, posits itself to take place in real life because uh slender man is you know this creepy pasta thing where the lines between a scary story and reality and this sort of lore are blurred and so um i think that's totally cool but then it turns out in this movie that we know these teens didn't kill people because they watched the blair witch project they did it because there was supernatural stuff going on and so which also just makes the blair witch project true in universe yeah like it's a wild choice to make because that means that's a documentary that is 100 percent real exactly the movie confuses me from the very beginning because we have the blair witch project which i guess most people understand in this film to know is fictional but then they're still taking a trip out to Maryland yeah, in order they're to They're setting these people up as fans of the movie, not like truthers, you know? Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, 
Jeff is just selling all that shit because he doesn't care. He thinks it's cool and he wants yeah. money. Like, you know, I think Erica is the closest we get to a character who wants to like tap in willingly, but even she's like, it's it's a religious experience. It's not like a literal supernatural experience. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And also, you know, we hadn't really gotten to this point yet. The thing that happens that really muddies this and causes interrogation scenes and all that is that while they're trying to figure out what happened, they each go out and like do something and they think it wasn't that big a deal or it was like a minor interaction. Like Kim goes to this weird redneck corner store and has an argument with the clerk or crashes the van and Jeff thinks he sees Erica who has gone missing, but then doesn't. And they don't really know like where she is or what happened or what's up with the van or whatever. Or like Tristan is seen like killing herself. But the point here is, so they were all like hallucinating and under the influence of these demons or ghosts or whatever. And they committed a bunch of murders. They murdered the other tour guide party. They murdered that cashier. They murdered Erica. They murdered Tristan. And they're reckoning with that because even though they don't remember doing that, they did. But even that doesn't fit with the rest of the movie because that's not media showing something that's not true or causing them to do it. Because this stuff, like, it's on tape is what happened. But the thing that's false here is their memory of doing it, not the media on which it's stored. Yeah. So it's like there's camera footage of Kim committing that murder. It's not the tape here that's the problem. It's Kim who's a murderer. Like, right. So and she's a murderer because of a ghost or a demon or something. Yes. So like at every possible point, this movie's not just muddled in the edit. It's not muddled in the writing or it's not just muddled in the writing. It's not just muddled because of studio interference. It's muddled because it doesn't know what it wants to say. Yeah. But it really yeah. wants to say something. It's fucking yeah. desperate to be profound and make a point <laughs> and it just can't get there. That's a great point. Yeah, it's desperate. I like that. I really do. I hadn't and realized in watching it how desperate it feels both to make money, to make a point, to be valuable. But God. Right. And and that, that's honestly all I was feeling while I watched this movie. Because I'm a guy that um, I just I love horror movies. And, you know, Stephen King has this quote that even the even a bad horror movie is like one of the best movies I've ever seen. I'm kind of of that mind where I, I can just enjoy a horror movie for the ride of it. But the whole time I'm watching this movie, because it connects itself so strong to the original Blair Witch Project, um, I'm trying to figure out what its place is. And so I'm just so confused and frustrated with what it's trying to be because um, I can't I can't have fun with the horror movie aspects because they are so um, they're so poorly put together because it's trying to exist at the same time as this poignant movie and so we can't even have fun with the kills or the possession or you at know, most points you can't even tell like a kill is happening or who's yeah. killing who or what that's supposed to mean and i think another big problem to sort of get to what you're getting at with like struggling to connect to the movie mm -hmm. and i know we said it earlier the performances are bad and the dialogue's bad which isn't doing them any favors but it's like it's not just bad it's stilted and awkward and robotic almost at points or just like one degree away from being how a normal person would do something that you can't connect with these people as people because they don't feel like people. Yeah, they feel like, yeah, yeah, they yeah. feel like weird caricatures of what these people might potentially be, but they're just like one degree away from a real human. It's the <laughs> worst. 
And I want this film to know that having a goth girl in your cast does not make your movie diverse. You know what I mean? Like it's... Or a witch. Yeah, or a (laughs) witch. And then I also just, I want to know how a movie can have such bad acting. Like how is a movie able to have bad acting? There are so many, there are so many, um... Just processes and steps. Even the need. worst acting should have some sort of value. Like, cause you know, Nicolas Cage, right? A lot of people think Nick Cage in a lot of movies is a really bad actor. But if you understand how he comes at things from a very like old school at times, like surrealist melodramatic tradition, he's killing it yeah. from that lens of interpretation of how to get across these feelings and ideas to an audience. And it's effective in that way, but it may not play as like, yeah, this is what a person would do here, but it still works because that's acting. This is not that. This is just struggling to feel like a person at all. Yeah, and and the problem, I'm not familiar enough with the craft of acting that I can say what it is, but I don't want to say any of these people are bad actors. In fact, I've looked at some of the Wikipedia pages and they've gone on to do other things and they've seen some success and um, some positive uh, reactions with those things. So the problem just has to be somewhere in the writing or the directing where these actors also aren't, aren't sure of what they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to be coming across because none of this uh, feels real at all, which I guess is fine because it's a movie. These people are acting but you know as the movie wants to show us yeah uh you you would be better served doing anything else with your time than this Mm -hmm. yeah there's um horror cliches are really stacked on here too it despite trying to have none of them like how does that even happen right which is why that's so frustrating you know because i get the idea that um uh the director you know, t- takes offense with the first movie, and so he's saying, "Okay, we're gonna make something that um, that really shows uh, people as they really are." You know, we're gonna strip out the facade of what people think documentary filmmaking is. And but there's just so much here that, from the way these characters are holding the camera when they're using them, to the way they're speaking to each other, to the fact that um, a character uh, has a rash on their body from a supernatural presence, and one of the characters says, "You know, it's poison." An oak it's just that this um really trite uh idea that nothing supernatural can be happening to us and it's stuff that you see in oh yeah movies and they're, all the they're time. literally in the shape of runes and they're like nah it's nothing it's like yeah yeah no it's something dog like it's runes. yeah and so <laughs> it's, it's that stuff that makes me think okay this is directed by a documentary filmmaker who isn't particularly a fan of horror movies and i don't know if that's the case but i would I would place my my chips on saying that this director is not a horror movie fan, and I think I think it really it really does come across, and it's a shame that he was trying to make a horror movie that says something because he I think he really uh, he he really tripped on his own feet here. Yeah, man, it's I didn't I didn't know what kind of reaction I was gonna have to this movie once we started talking about it because like i had said i kind of felt like i just had a goofy fun time with it but like i'm mad at this movie like this Mm -hmm. movie is an affront to me and my sensibilities and yeah i hadn't so profoundly recognized how much of a missed opportunity it is based on what it wanted to talk about versus what it is which is nothing 
this movie's like a complete black hole. It is a black hole, yeah. It really is. And that I don't makes know what else we can say so other forgotten. than that. Like, yeah, it's just there's so much confusing about it, you know. Um, and just to make clear, the parts that I was most intrigued by are the beginning when we have um documentary footage, you know, news reports, things like that, and um, even footage of late night talk shows of of uh, you know, people like Roger Ebert, the and, homie um, Roger Ebert. <laughs> And, and Jay Leno talking about the release of the Blair Witch Project. And then we have real life people being interviewed about the effect that the movie has had on the place that they live in. I think that's really worth looking at. And the end of the movie, after everything has gone down, um, apparently stuff went down in this movie. The reporter is saying, um, again, that perhaps these fans committed ritualistic murders because... They watched the Blair Witch Project, and I think that's a creepy idea. But it's scare. It was scarier for me to hear the reporter say that than it is actually seeing the murders take place thirty seconds before. You know, um, once the story has come together and is being explained by the reporter at the end, and the reporters are flanking the kids and they're asking if there's a supernatural presence um i think that's actually kind of cool but it just isn't communicated at all in the previous hour and then right after that scene we get a twist ending where the girl is revealed to not be a witch and something messed with the tape what do you have any thoughts about that very abrupt ending no i um, don't the, the ending i have of this none movie, i have no thoughts honestly, it rivals the Blair Witch Project in its abruptness, which is impressive. Um, but it, it feels more... Um, Blair Witch Project feels very deliberately abrupt, whereas this feels like, oh, we don't have any more footage to use? Fuck it. Yeah, man, you know what? I was literally, while you were talking, I just sat here like shaking my head at just the missed opportunity that is this movie. Before I close this out here, can you recommend a movie, a horror movie, that... Maybe it's similar to this. Maybe it's not, but that you think people should watch just to cleanse our palate. Let's leave people with something positive. Okay, so, um, yeah, if you want to see something that is sort of self-aware and meta and deals with the impact that movies uh, have on the youth, the obvious example is Scream. I would always recommend Scream. I think it's a, it's a fantastic movie that does a lot of things that this movie is trying to do. It's an entertaining horror movie but it also has social commentary that is relevant to the time. And besides that, I have another recommendation that is not horror, but it is a um, pseudo true crime fictional documentary miniseries called American Vandal on Netflix. <laughs> Do you, are you familiar with this, Corey? I haven't seen it, but I know what it's about. <laughs> yes. And so it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a documentary series um, that, takes place in our real world um when you get the opening credits you have the names of the characters uh the high school students who are uh supposedly making this documentary they are listed as the producers and then in the second season uh you have them talking about how the first season was picked up by netflix and so oh, if you're cool. into this this yeah if you're into this sort of a uh, meta true crime filmmaking that the director of this movie would probably be pissed about because it's going to make people spray paint dicks on cars or something uh 
for those who don't know, the first season is the the mystery they're trying to solve is uh, someone has gone into the teacher's parking lot and spray painted dicks on every one of their cars. And so they need to find out who did it. Um, and it's super captivating. And it honestly, I think it scratches a very similar itch for me as someone who loves the Blair Witch Project. It's it's honestly one of my favorite uh, pieces of media I've ever seen. I think it's brilliant, and um, it's on along similar lines as as even something like Scream. Again, it's not horror at all. It is um, it's uh, it's funny, but it, it's not an outright parody. It does take itself as seriously as it can without while knowing um, what it is. So it's very funny, but um, the drama. And the mystery is very real. And so I would absolutely check that out instead of this, because to stress once again, I think this is an absolutely missed opportunity. I think it's a very interesting idea. Um, but, uh, you know, I watched this movie with my girlfriend and she mentioned oh, to me, that's I'm uh, so sorry. Uh, yeah, dude, I mentioned she meant and, and you we guys had break just, up after. <laughs> <laughs> and we had just watched the original Blair Witch Project and the sequel Blair Witch. And then we were so excited to go back and complete the trilogy. And and we felt very similarly about this movie. And she noted to me um, that this is just such a missed opportunity. And she's so upset because an opportunity like this is really not going to present itself again. The Blair Witch Project was so unique. And they had an opportunity to comment on that in a really interesting way and for about a minute or two it looks like they're going to do it and they don't <laughs> and when we can't do it again right the 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 sequel to the Blair Witch project um that came out recently that that uh retconned this um didn't do something like that because it's it's just it's just not possible anymore not in this day and age and not with so much time passing and so I truly think it is cinema's one of cinema's greatest blunders. This movie, and um, it's just I such a colossal fuck up. It's unbelievable. It, it's colossal, and um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about it because um, I think that's about as much enjoyment as you can get from something related to this film. Yeah, you know that's you know. interviews with the director might be cool if you want to check those out. He might have some interesting stuff to say. Or just to don't. Learn about that's his fine. Intent. Maybe just don't but... either. Because who gives a shit? Honestly, <laughs> who fucking cares? I don't care what his intent was. That's not what he did. Like studio interference we... or not, it doesn't fucking matter. It's hilarious that we've ended this uh, with you being uh, even more down on this movie than I am. Fuck. I feel satisfied. Oh, my God. Thank you once again for listening to us have a complete meltdown on this episode of They Made Another One. Uh, you can find us all over the Internet on Twitter at They Made Another, all one word, on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other services as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at theymadeanotheronepod at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments. Uh, we'll do our best to respond to everyone who reaches out. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego Graham the Haunted Marshmallow at Twitter and Letterboxd. The tag is Graham the Mallow. And you can see on Letterboxd that I have rated another one of Joe Berlinger's films, Paradise Lost, five out of five. So uh, he did it for me once. And uh, only once. <laughs> only once. Uh, I didn't mean that, Joe. I'm not going to be that mean to you. And I am at Mr. Corey Price on Twitter, M R C O R E Y Price. And. Um, you can see me tweet 
about things that make me happy there, which means I will not be tweeting about this movie. Uh, thanks again for listening, and we will catch you here next time for more. They made another one? <laughs>